Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the program. We've got some 49ers news. OTAs is back, and to start that off, Trey Lance, Sam Darnold splitting reps. I told, uh, talked about some of the offensive line stuff. Offensive line coach Chris Forster talked today. We're going to get into all of that very soon. But first, Sunil, how you doing, my man? Man, everything is beautiful. It's a little bit overcast here in the uh, down south in Southern California. But other than that, you know, my, my, my smile is bright enough to light the hey. sky up. Exactly, man. I mean, it's a nice it's a it's a nice Wednesday today, and 49ers talk is back. I mean, you know, at every single week we're gonna get something or another out of OTAs. OTAs week number two now. Media was there today, and there's a lot of a lot of takeaways to start. Got to start though with the most important one: Sam Darnold, Trey Lance. Kyle Shanahan alluded to it last week. Was going to split reps after Trey Lance took all the one reps last week. Seemed like a fairly even split, 50-50 today. Any takeaways that you have from the 50-50 split, especially with uh, how, you know, now quarterback, it's kind of fizzling out. We're getting more and more into everybody's kind of coming back into, you know, the realm of things, more understanding the offense for Donald and all. What do you, uh, what do you think about it? Yeah, I, th- I think it was just funny, the timing, because, you know, the last few days there was this report coming out that Trey Lance was taking all the, the number one team reps at quarterback. And uh, obviously this was um, done with the reporter who wasn't there because none, no media access um, was allowed. And then when the media access was there, all of a sudden Sam Darnold starts getting some team one reps. So. I don't know if this was a little kind of shade thrown by Kyle Shanahan again for the media getting involved in his uh, practices or, you know, cr- creating narratives that he doesn't want created or whatnot. So he just kind of did the big F you to the media was like, oh, you're you're reporting that uh, Trey Lance is taking all the number one reps. Well, let's make Sam Darnold uh, QB one for this practice. So um, I thought that was interesting. As far as um, as far as does that mean anything to me? Not really. I mean, it, I think we have to take Shanahan at his word, and he's mentioned this is this is a competition. He's he's not anointing uh, Trey Lance or Sam Darnold, no matter how much the fan base um, wants him to. Uh, he wants to he wants the best man to win, and like like we mentioned last week, um, Rohan like. Both of these quarterbacks seem to be mentally locked in and understanding what their roles are and what they need to do. At this point, both of them feel confident that they could get the number one job. And I think that's the way you got to go in. I think it's going to do what's best for the team. It's going to make both of these players better. So, um, no, I'm not, I'm not reading too much into OTAs. I'm really just focused on making sure that everybody gets out of it healthy and um you know onto onto you know the actual 
you know, actual training camp. When real, real action starts in training camp, pretty much. But I mean, I think exactly. what you say is pretty on point. It's kind of funny though, right? Earlier this morning, we hear from ESPN's Jeff Darlington. For those of you guys that recognize the name, Jeff Darlington is the one who also broke the Debo Samuel trade request news last year when Samuel told him about the trade request. He essentially says Lance is getting all the one reps. Uh, Donald has been, uh, you know, he, he's been getting all the backups, uh, backup reps, backup duty as he kind of gets his playbook under his belt. For now, Trey Lance getting his opportunity with those first team reps. Obviously flips today. And it's not a surprise necessarily. Kyle Shanahan said we'll make sure to even those out last week after Lance got all the one reps. And it makes sense in the timeline as Darnold was, you know, getting uh, the playbook under his belt. Really not much action with the 49ers. And so you get that first week down. Now you start to even it out. Seems, I mean, statistically it's tough, right? Without context, without really seeing how everything went. But uh, Darnold had 13 passes today, completed 10. Lance, 12 passes, completed six. Unfortunately, it seemed like a lot of drops were there. Five total, three for Lance, two for Darnold. But seems like, you know, this quarterback competition, in a way, is getting underway, and it's got a good 50-50 split at the moment. I got to say, I don't know when this started and um, who started it as far as um, started to list the stats from uh, – as far as the throws and completion percentages and all that kind of stuff, I think it's so dumb, Rohan. Like, completion percentage in a voluntary OTAs to me is the dumbest thing uh, to to actually, like, go out there and mention. It's all done for clickbait. People kind of run with their narratives, right? Obviously, 6 for 12 by, by Trey Lance. Uh, nobody is seeing any of the throws or anything like that. You're just looking at the stat sheet. Even if you see, you know, three drops, I don't think that means anything. We have no idea what those throws were. Uh, I I personally think that, you know, this, this is the time to be able to work things out, right? You're, you're playing, you're throwing to probably receivers that you're not too familiar with. You're uh, practicing routes that, maybe are newer to the playbook or, or, or whatnot. It could be a, a plethora of reasons why the numbers are the way that they are. But I just think it's so dumb to, to list these numbers. I, I, mean, I guess it's not dumb. You know, people are doing it for the reasons that they're doing it. But it's just so funny right now. Like the people that are anti-Trey Lance are taking that six for 12 and it's proving all of their, uh, all of their points that Trey Lance isn't ready and prepared to be a week one starter or a starter in the NFL type of thing. And I'm just like, yo, relax. Jimmy Garoppolo, most of the, most people who tend to dislike Trey Lance are big fans of Jimmy Garoppolo. And I remember in OTAs a couple years ago, Jimmy Garoppolo was throwing four or five picks per day. So um, I don't, I, I don't read too much into the numbers come OTAs. Yeah. I mean, again, it is again, right? Like it's statistics in OTAs. A lot of things you don't have your entire team out. I don't think Trent Williams is there right now. Debo Samuel didn't play in the scrimmage portion, although he was present for the first time this uh, this year. A lot of different things go into it. So again, it's you get you got to take it all with a grain of salt. But overall, with the 49ers and this quarterback rep uh, split in a way, seems like right now, you know, I'll, I'll I'll lead into another topic because John Lynch. 
had a lot of comments today on the quarterback topic. He talked specifically about Brock Purdy, but an intriguing part that he said, two things. One, clarified Kyle Shanahan's comments. We're not going to rush Brock Purdy out until he's fully healthy. And two, it's an open competition at quarterback. Did any of that surprise you at all that he came out and said that? It surprises me only in the sense that it seems like John Lynch is finally coming back to reality because I think that initially, not necessarily if you, you know, verbatim from what he's saying, but the tone of which he was speaking was Brock Purdy is QB one and, you know, everybody else kind of falls in line from their type of situation. And I think that there was this sentiment that there's a real possibility Brock Purdy is going to be ready for week one. And that mostly I think was coming from John Lynch untempered, you know, when Kyle Shanahan spoke about the availability of Brock Purdy, he said the same sentiment, you know, Brock Purdy could be ready for day one, but or from week one. However, just because he's cleared to play week one, if he isn't ready and practicing, you know, a couple weeks before, that that's the only way he would be prepared to play week one. I think that John Lynch was is a little bit more kind of pushing for Brock Purdy to be the guy. And obviously I think it's clear most people that are are reading the tea leaves and kind of reading the body language and reading between the lines, it's clear that John Lynch, I think, is more of a Brock Purdy guy than a Trey Lance guy. And it seems like Kyle Shanahan really just wants it to be the best quarterback and does still believe that Trey Lance could be that guy and is giving him ample opportunity. So it just it just was surprising that finally it seemed like John Lynch was at least being open to that idea that that there could be another quarterback and uh, that that starts and that for me is going to be Trey Lance week one. Right, and I mean I think initially right when you hear. Lynch and Shanahan. Lynch is, I mean, in general, Lynch is more of the optimist. Shanahan seems like more of a pessimist. And, I mean, overall, Lynch, obviously, he's saying what you want to hear initially about Brock Purdy. The hope is he's ready for week one. Hope is he's ready for training camp. While in reality, that might not come true, understanding that you want him to be in practice before he plays and he might only come back healthy at the early portion of September after training camp and after preseason, which means he might need some weeks of acclimation and practice before being out there on the game, uh, on the field. And so I think that, you know, that reality is sort of starting to set in now that we have a little more of a clearer timeline. And this ties into something that I saw earlier this week Ian Rapport is uh, he's a guy who's also push the Purdy narrative significantly this offseason. And I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with it, but Rapport said, I kind of connected, you, you know, you're connecting the dots. He said that right now, this is what the 49ers, as good as they could have hoped for. But he also pointed out, seems like the earliest Purdy will come back is early September. Early September matched with the fact that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have both said that you need practice time makes it somewhat more clear that at least the moment that he won't be ready for week one. The hope is he's ready for training camp, but if he's back in early September, you know, he's got to be back in late July, which is a whole month of timeline that's different uh, for him to be ready for training camp. And so that's where, you know, where you're you're talking about the hope, but the hope is it just doesn't seem like the reality right now. However, 
it seems Purdy wants to play, especially with the open competition, solidify his role. And it seems like he's ahead of schedule, which is good. Now, by ahead of schedule, it's ahead of schedule by three days. But still, he's ahead of schedule, and he's hitting the benchmarks like the 49ers have said. Obviously, I'm still going to err on the side of caution until, you know, you see him in action, in practice, or in, you know, whatever, in whatever setting. But it's, it's at least, it's a, the good thing is it's a positive sign right now in regards to Purdy. Yeah, and I have a question for you, Rohan. I asked this to Jesse last night as well. Um, so, obviously, the 49ers offense took a big leap when Brock Purdy was behind center. Um, the offense was already looking pretty good, you know, ever since the McCaffrey trade and he was fully integrated into the offense. Even with Jimmy G there, Jimmy G was playing his best football of his career uh, and the 49ers scoring at a pretty good, you know, mark. And then when he came in, he took it to another level um, as far as the offense looking even that much better. My question to you is, it, all indications is that Trey Lance is probably going to be the week one starter just because obviously Brock Purdy isn't going to be ready for that. Let's say that I guess my question to you is what does Trey Lance have to do? What does this offense have to look like for him to solidify himself as QB one um, where Kyle Shanahan isn't going to, necessarily look to insert Brock Purdy in there do you think it's just a matter of wins or does the offense have to look explosive um, as it was with Brock Purdy and I guess my follow-up question would be let's say the offense is looking the same they're putting up 30 plus points per game like they were with Brock Purdy is that enough like, I guess, how does Trey Lance separate himself from Brock Purdy to where Kyle Shanahan is like, this is the quarterback we need to move forward with that's going to give us the best chance to win this season? This is a tough question. I mean, this benchmark that we're trying to see, we're trying to set essentially to see how does Lance unseat Purdy, how does Darnold even unseat Purdy, it's a tough one because there's really no quantifiable, uh, like, quantifiable term or statistic that we can use that we can just clearly point at and say this is what you need here's what i believe though for lance to unseat purdy he has to first of all show a good comfortability in the offense in operating the offense because lance was drafted right for his potential for his ability not only to operate the offense but also be utilized in the run game and operate um you know outside of the scheme outside of the playbook be able to extend plays however what's the number one priority operating the offense at a high level efficiently you uh, uh efficiently being able to operate that offense lance right now that's the area where i think he needs biggest improvement on because it comes out with accuracy right i'm not gonna lie when i say he had accuracy concerns in training camp last year i mean that's that was there and i mean that's been the one issue that has been out there about lance throughout you know throughout his uh throughout his career now, obviously, when it comes to that, he didn't have a chance to prove himself last year. And in year one, he was hampered by a finger injury. So the development was stunted there. To me, what I believe is, I, I honestly don't think it matters about the record that the 49ers have. What was Brock Purdy able to do? Efficiently operate the offense, 
and also score points. I think that those are the two biggest factors. If Lance can prove that he can efficiently operate the offense and score points, I think that that'll be enough to unseat Purdy, understanding that he's already got a, he's got a good grasp of being able to efficiently operate the offense. But to him, there's more because of the skill set that he provides where he can do more. It's just we want to see this first. And so to me, that's where it's got to be because when Lance has been on the field, the 49ers have struggled to score points. And I'm not saying they need to score over 30 points a game. I, I do think that the identity of the 49ers offense changes because you're going to be able to utilize the run game more and then set up the pass in that way, understanding that Lance makes it 11 on 11 football, even if he isn't running the football at a high level. I mean, uh, uh, like not at a high level, but at a high volume. And so I do think that there's going to be a different difference in identity, but the number one thing is how does he operate Kyle Shanahan's offense the way Shanahan wants it to be run? Yeah, I think I'd have to push back a little bit. I think that if in the first four games of the season, the 49ers are one and three or two and two, regardless of how good Trey Lance is looking, I think it's going to be tough not to make that QB switch just because the players on the team are gonna are, are are gonna maybe put some pressure on um wanting purdy there since they've had so much success last year with purdy i think trey lance it has to really show out i think this team has to be three and one four and oh they do have to be scoring 28 29 30 plus points per game and the offense has to be one of the primary reasons that this team is winning um, I think those are things that this team needs to see because when you look at what was going on with Brock Purdy, that kind of is the first time we really saw where the off the defense didn't have to carry the offense. They actually were able to, um, you know, the defense was able to be even more dominant because they were playing with the lead, which is not something that they're used to doing, especially in first halves of games and things of that nature. So I, I don't, I think that it's good. I think that it's going to take more than just the team winning, more than just Trey Lance feels looking comfortable in the backfield. I think that he has to show that not it's not just potential that he's the starting quarterback. Like it has to come to fruition because we saw it come to fruition with Brock Purdy. So my 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 question is, how much does it need to come to fruition? Because this offense looked really good with Brock Purdy behind there. Now, obviously eight game win, eight game sample size, not a lot of sample size teams weren't, you know, probably weren't, uh, didn't have a lot of tape on Brock Purdy to, you know, create defenses against what, where his weaknesses are and things of that nature. However, for me, it's interesting when, what Kyle Shanahan is going to be looking towards as far as, sticking with that right it, even if they're 4-0 but the defense is winning most of those games do they still stick with Trey Lance or do they put Brock Purdy in there that's what I'm going to be interested in seeing all right and I like that point and let me clarify when I talk about winning for me I'm not saying that winning isn't necessary I actually agree with you to me instead what I'm saying is for me, I don't think that winning is going to be the biggest reason and that if the 49ers are 3-1, and one, but Lance is, you know, he's up and down with his play, I still think the 49ers would execute a change. I think winning is, uh, winning is needed, 
But I also think the primary thing when you talk about Brock Purdy and evaluating whether he uh, comes back in is Lance's play. And how does he elevate the offense? How does he kind of change uh, or not change, but how does he add to what the 49ers already have with their skill position groups, with the, with their offense? And so I think that that's a good question. Do uh, Well, will I put maybe a number on it? Not necessarily in terms of the amount of points, but instead, like the reason that I'm, I'm not trying to put a number on the points is because I think the 49ers are going to go back to their ways of old and managing the time of possession because with longer drives because you're going to run the football a little more not necessarily with the quarterback but overall i do think the 49ers will have longer drives which means you have less opportunities to score points but a greater balance and a greater dominance of the game in time of possession however i do think that they're going to place a bigger emphasis now on the passing game understanding the value that a guy like christian mccaffrey provides to your offense whereas in the past with your running game with guys like raheem mostert and uh you know other elite uh, or you know running backs that work very well in the scheme it was more of a run-centric offense so I do think Lance, it's going to be very important for him to score, like I said. But I do also think it it's going to be evaluative of his play. It's really how does Lance play? And I think that that – because if Lance plays well, I believe the 49ers win. If he doesn't play well, you can still win. But I don't know if the confidence is there for to stick him in when you have a guy like Purdy, let's just say who's been practicing for four weeks to be implemented there uh, when he's fully ready. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and it's going to be interesting um, how well Trey Lance has to play for Kyle Shanahan to be like, this is the guy. Because, you know, it's a good problem for Kyle Shanahan to have two quarterbacks that he feels like the team could win with. Maybe even three if, you know, Sam Darnold turns around as well. But at the end of the day, he has to decide who he feels like he could win the most with, right? And what does he need to see? From Trey Lance because it seems like Brock Purdy has already proved that to him um what does Trey Lance have to do to I guess unseat Brock Purdy in Shanahan's mind that's going to be I think the the most interesting question of the season oh yeah I, I yeah I definitely think that for sure got an interesting part here Harold talks about the video Kurt Warner put out um essentially sparked by Ryan Hensley uh a, a very good 49ers content creator it's about Brock Purdy in a style of play. Some have called him a dink and dunk quarterback. Some, And Kurt Warner essentially goes past that. Harold points out an area of Purdy's improvement is throwing the ball on time or sooner during certain routes. And I think that this is an important area because Purdy, he's a guy who has a good understanding of his game. If he believes that if he doesn't get that ball out on time, he won't throw it understanding that it's got a good chance of uh, a def the defense making a play on it because of the zip that he has on the ball. This is something you'll see a couple of times in throws between the second and third levels on curl routes, on different types of routes where receivers sit between those levels and Purdy's supposed to fire it in. He hesitates initially and then doesn't make that throw because obviously you don't want that inter uh, pass to get intercepted or broken up on the uh, on the way there. I think this is definitely uh, an area of an improvement I want to ask you though what do you, what is your take on the dink and dunk type of quarterback or maybe your definition on that yeah i mean i think this was a little bit overblown in the sense that i feel like um the definition of dink and dunk 
is different from whenever people were making their videos. Like what Ryan Hensley and and um, Rich Madrid were talking about was different from what I think Larry Kruger and Kurt Warner were talking about as far as the definition of dink and dunk, right? I think that, and I, I don't necessarily look at dink and dunk as a negative. I think at the end of the day, as a quarterback, you're supposed to take whatever the defense is giving you. And especially when you have the type of weapons that the 49ers have, which have been called the Yak Bros for years now, and and the iterations of Yak Bros have changed, um, you know, with who was, the, who was there at receiver. You know, sometimes getting the ball on time um, quickly to a guy like Debo Samuels can can turn into a 50 60 yard touchdown you don't necessarily need to throw the ball 40 yards 50 yards down the field to get that 60 yard touchdown you could just throw an out to Ayuk um at at uh you know on time at the right you know it, it put him in the right situation and Ayuk could take it to the house 50 60 yards so it doesn't necessarily mean that dink and dunk doesn't mean you can still be explosive but from what my understanding of what ryan hensley is saying is that brock purdy because one of his limitations is his arm strength his willingness to throw the ball deep and open up that next level of the um of the defense and kind of bl blow the top off of them is more difficult even though he throws the ball down the field it's not necessarily as accurate and it's not something that he's going to do often whereas with Lance, and once again, it's potential. It's not about what we've actually seen, but with Trey Lance, we know that his arm strength is there to where he's he'd be willing to throw that ball or he'd be capable of throwing that ball down the field a lot further. Um, whether or not it's accurate, still, still to be seen. But I think that's where the difference with the dink and dunk is, whereas Brock Purdy's most success is going to be more short to mid-range throws whereas trey lance has the potential to be a, a downfield thrower and reality is that to win a super bowl the you know the last however many super bowls um have been won i think it's like the last three or four super bowl winners that down to field thrower ends up being the one that wins the super bowl right whether it's patrick mahomes whether it's uh, matthew stafford uh, Tom Brady, these are all guys that, you know, do throw the ball down the field and, and have the ability to score based off of air yards. And, um, you know, that isn't something that's been a 49er trait, uh, with the quarterbacks that they've had over the Shanahan tenure. No, I, I think that you break it down well, right? There are different definitions. I agree with what Ryan Hensley said, but I also agree with parts of what Kurt Warner said. It's just they're utilizing different definitions for dig and dunk. Ryan Hensley's talking about Purdy. It's not the inability uh, to to make downfield throws or to throw the ball downfield. It's the inability or it's really the arm strength that's an issue that limits the amount of throws that you can make, which obviously hurts, not hurts, but minimizes the impact in system that he can make with reads that are supposed to be there. And you see it on film. We've I've broken down the film for every game that Purdy played. Where when you talk about Brock Purdy, it's not necessarily – I don't know if I'd say dink and dunk necessarily. And I don't think dink and dunk is necessarily a bad thing either because there are quarterbacks that 
obviously can operate within system and be very efficient and be top 10 quarterbacks for sure. But to me, I've seen on film where you, you have throws that Purdy elects not to make because uh, even if it's like, you know, uh, like I said, between the second and third level, there are several of those, some downfield shots where he chooses to, um, where he chooses to throw it in, in, within a shorter range, or, you know, there, there are certain areas of improvement. Does that say that Purdy can't get better, like 49ers throwback here is saying? No. I think Purdy can certainly get better. The only thing is you question how much more arm strength he can build, especially coming off this injury. That's the thing. Kurt Warner had a great video. I didn't watch the entirety of it, but the points that he's making is correct. I mean, there are certain things that Purdy does very well, which is why the 49ers saw success in the in the range that he has success. Is Are there certainly improvements uh, that he needs to be made? Uh, sure. I, I agree. That's why I'm not necessarily sold on Purdy after eight games. I do want to see the improvements come into place, but I think that there are two separate definitions that were being used. And I do think that, you know, I think there's certainly room for improvement, but I also think there's certainly room for caution. And that's where you, that's where the whole part of potential comes into play. But the one thing I'll say, being able to throw the ball downfield doesn't matter unless you can do it consistently and accurately. That's what I'll say. Mm -hmm. And so for both quarterbacks, we saw Purdy able to throw down the field accurately. It's just he wasn't able to necessarily do it as consistently, understanding the limitations with his arm strength. With Lance, we haven't seen either yet just because of the game, uh, the amount of time that he's played. The hope is that he can deliver consistently and accurately down the field because that's what you drafted him to do. But that has to still be shown. And so I think it's still more valuable if you're able to do it accurately but not as consistently then have the ability to do it but not be able to do it accurately or consistently. That's how I'll say it. Yeah, and I think that one aspect of Shanahan's offensive scheme that people haven't seen is that third le level. So if you're looking at right. Kyle Shanahan's schemes, he usually has like three levels of where the receivers are the the you know are making their running their routes right he has an underneath route a mid and a, a mid route and then a deep route and that's pretty much on every single scheme that he has as far as a passing play and you know obviously jimmy garoppolo has been the quarterback under shanahan's tenure for the longest time and he was somebody who was hesitant or just chose not to really throw the ball to that third level and um, recent, as, as recent, that was Brandon Ayuk, right? Brandon Ayuk, you know, struggled a lot with Jimmy as far as getting his numbers and things like that because he was always running that deep, deeper route, and Jimmy wouldn't, um, you know, pull the trigger on that as often. That's an aspect of Shanahan's offense that's just kind of forgotten because it's not seen. And I think one of the reasons why Shanahan was so adamant on bringing in a guy like Trey Lance not only his athletic ability, but because of that arm strength, I think he saw it as an ability to open up the scheme. And it's not necessarily changing the plays. It's not necessarily drawing up different routes. It's the same uh, same plays, but just taking uh, making a different decision because you have the athletic ability to make that throw type of thing. So I think ultimately that's what – I guess the people that are pushing for Trey Lance to be the guy see that potential in Trey Lance to really open up that aspect of Shanahan's office. But once again, 
you know, I'm a big Trey Lance fan, but I'm not going to sit here and say that it's because of what we've seen consistently, right? Just like you, we want to see it consistently. We're basing it off of potential. And this is Trey Lance's last chance with the 49ers to say, is it just potential? Or are you actually going to be able to execute? Because we've seen Brock Purdy maybe not execute at the level of potential that we think Trey Lance could be at. However, he's executing at a very high level to where this 49ers still be extremely competitive and um, make him make a deep run into the playoffs, as we've seen. So that's what, you know, that's what we have to see. Can Trey Lance put this potential that a lot of his supporters see in him? Is he going to finally put it into action? Um, because if he doesn't, you know, we would rather take the guy in Purdy that may not have the higher ceiling, but his floor is so much higher than if Trey Lance isn't executing at a high level. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And that's what this entire offseason is about, right? Can he get to that point where he's executing at a high level? Because if he isn't, then you, your, your quarterback situation is figured out. And that's why some high-level media members, um, be it Ian Rappaport, be it whoever, even Matt Mayoko, who's talked about uh, Sam Darnold being a, one of the most talented throwers of the football that he's seen. Overall, it's how does he reach that? How does he reach that area? How does he get to that point where he himself, you know, is executing at a high level? That's the biggest question for this offseason. But let's shy away from the quarterback talk because there was a lot more that came out. I don't know if it was as picked up, but a lot more that came out. Let's start with the offensive line. Chris Forster, offensive line coach talked today to the media and he gave out some very meaningful uh kind of uh points starting with the starters colton mckivitz the biggest question on that starting offensive line after obviously being groomed to start the last few years mcglinchey leaves 49ers don't sign anybody meaningful in free agency don't draft anybody at the tackle position at all during the draft despite it being an area of uh where they could have used depth showcases some Confidence in Colt McKivitz essentially says it's McKivitz's job um, this uh, it, today, and it's kind of giving a vote of confidence in him, further solidifying that right side of the offensive line on who is going to be playing. What do you take away from the vote of confidence in McKivitz? Does it go along with what the 49ers are saying? And also, what could it mean for the plans later in the offseason with the money they have? So I don't know if I told you, Rohan, but – I was on a cruise. Um, I was on a cruise about a month ago. I guess it had yeah. been, and I uh, met an NFL player there that um, played. Actually, was very familiar with Cole McKivitz. Um, worked out with him, and um, worked. And they they had like a they had a they had like a, a connection between the two of them. And I asked them. I asked them straight out because I understood that he was going to be our right tackle. I was like. What's your read on McKivitz? Do you think he he could be a full-time starter in the NFL? He's like, dude, you guys are good with Colin McKivitz. He's uh he's super locked in. 
Um, he expects to be the starter, and you guys will be fine with him at right tackle. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, I think people underestimate what the 49ers can do as far as development with their draft picks, right? We saw what Aaron Banks was able to accomplish um, in just the second year with the 49ers. He, he looks like a bona fide left guard for the foreseeable future for the 49ers. Burford, um, as a rookie, you saw his strides that he took from the beginning of the year to later on in the later on in the year as well. McKivitz was a fifth round draft pick by the 49ers in 2020. And even though he was often on the roster because of, um, you know, all of the COVID type stuff and, you know, some of the, he was just kind of a casualty of just uncertain times at that point with the, with the salary cap being so low, he's been on this team developing for quite a few years. You know what I mean? So the fact that he's at right tackle, I think that's always been the plan. Obviously, by the decisions that they made this offseason, they saw him as the plan. By the way they drafted this year, they saw him as the plan. And it's always been out of Kyle Shanahan's mouth that Colin McKivitz was the right tackle there. So Chris Forrester, or Forrester saying that and giving that vote of confidence, I think, is on point with what we've been hearing throughout this offseason. Now, I think it's great, right? This, this One of the... I guess biggest question marks last off season when we were doing all of this off season talk was the offensive line is going to be terrible. There's three guys that are starting that have very little experience. We don't know if they're going to be good. And it was like, you know, some of the content creators, Rohan, uh, were calling for the jobs of Lynch and Shanahan for not doing enough on the offensive line. Um, and it was like a travesty and they're not, remember, they're not going all in and all this talk was, was being said because of this offensive line. Well, they ended up being pretty darn good, right? They were a top 10 offensive line. Aaron Banks ended up being way better than anybody uh, thought he was going to be. Um, you know, Brendel ended up being, you know, a pro, uh, uh, pro bowler and, you know, Burford and, uh, it was like a combination of Burford and Brunskill. Uh, you know, played decent enough, right? Um, so this ended up being a top 10 offensive line and 80% of that offensive line is coming back. So continuity is there. Colin McKivitz, once again, is a homegrown talent. He drafted by the team, has been practicing with this guy, with these guys for a few years. So I don't think that there's going to be that much of a change or that it, it's, gonna, it's not going to be hard to assimilate him to this offensive line. So I expect this offensive line not only to be just as good as they were last year, Rohan, I think they're going to take a step forward because all of these guys aren't fighting for their job anymore. Now they could just focus on like becoming a, a cohesive unit, right? Like making sure that they're all thinking on the same page, making sure that they're all, they're understanding that, you know, each other and feeling, feeling, you know, getting a feel for each other um, versus, like feeling like they have to play better than the guy behind them, right? So to me, I think that's going to be, that's going to make this offense even better. Obviously, having the talent behind the offensive line, whether that's Purdy, Trey Lance, but it's also Christian McCaffrey. I think that makes an offensive line better as well. So overall, I think that uh, it's going to be, um, it's going to be good. Now, as far as I think your second question is, what does this mean for the offseason and the money that they have? 
moving right. forward. I mean, I think I don't I don't know how much like as far as the money, but I do know next year I I would be shocked if their first round draft pick isn't a isn't a left tackle. Like I think that regardless of what how good this offensive line is, you have to have a solution for uh, Trent Williams because this either this year or possibly next year is probably going to be, you know, he's, he, he's going to leave in the next two or three years maximum, right? If he plays three years, that would be a shock. I personally believe if the 49ers win a Super Bowl, I think Trent, Trent Williams retires, you know, so they uh. have to have a, a solution for left tackle, which they don't have on the roster right now. So I think that's going to be where the focus is next season is finding Trent Williams replacement, whether they need that right away or groom him for a year. But Trent is more likely not going to be here three years from now than he is. And one thing I'll say is um, next year, that class is a good left tackle class. So the 49ers are in good hands next year. There are a solid amount of left tackles that I think are first round talents. Obviously we'll have to wait a whole year. And they finally have a first round pick. And you got a first round pick, so we'll have to wait and see. But um, I, I, I don't think that that's a bad take. Well, that's what Williams was looking for. Could end up retiring, and I mean, uh, he comes back for this last year. And I think if you look at the cap pit, if you designate him as a post June first cut next year, uh, or you know, not a it, he won't be a cut obviously, but if you designate him post June first, um, I, I think that the 49ers don't lose too too much i think like it'll be around maybe he split it like seven million eight million or it's either seven i think it's seven million about that uh that you end up losing in dead cap money because you can spread it out and so yeah that 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 would be a tough loss for the 49ers but one thing is it does clear up some cap space at a time where they're going to like 49ers throwback says have to make some tough decisions i've spoken about that but real quick on mckivitz itself I think that it's a good thing that the 49ers are giving a vote of confidence in McKivitz right now. Understanding, I mean, there is no competition to McKivitz. I know the 49ers said that they have an open competition. I don't think there's a single guy on the roster right now that's that, that'll be able to compete at right tackle. Uh, like, who is it? Jalen Moore? I don't think he's a tackle. Still don't. And I think he's a cut candidate now. Um, mm-hmm. I know Leroy Watson... No. He was a guy who was a developmental guy at UDFA, but I'm pretty sure he's working on the left side, not the right side. The second team rat tackle is Matt Pryor, who was not good in Indianapolis last year. I don't even think I, – I think there's a chance he doesn't make the roster either, although I haven't seen this contract with the guarantees. The one thing that I could question is the 49ers potentially signing a tackle at the end or near training camp uh, that could compete with McKivitz. But right now, I think they prefer the continuity. They prefer um, having some familiarity, and that's what McKivitz brings. Understanding they also haven't required uh, elite right tackle play over the last couple of years to have sustainable success. You know, that you've played with Tom Compton, he wasn't that good. You've played with McGlinchey, he was better than Tom Compton for sure. But still, he's still, even if you consider him a top 10 right tackle, which I think he still f- falls in the category to, uh, because of how weak the position is, he's still not that great, right? And so I think they've been able to go alongside it. McKivitz seems like a one-year option. Even if he's a two-year option, he could be a backup next year with the way his contract is structured. But it seems like he's a one-year option. And so, yeah, they're placing a vote of confidence in him. The other guy you mentioned him briefly, Spencer Burford. Here's what 
um, our guy Chris Forster had to say about Spencer Burford this uh, earlier today. He talked about Burford. You don't have to look over your shoulder anymore. It's your job, essentially solidifying uh, Spencer Burford that position. And I mean, it was pretty evident that he'd get the job after Daniel Brunskill left. There's no timeshare anymore. Burford's going to be that right guard. How do you feel about year two, Burford, him coming into the role, him being a little more developed after an up and down year one, but still flashed for sure? Yeah, this was kind of, I think, a little more interesting to me because they brought in Feliciano, right? And I think there was an interview that Feliciano did that he said that he didn't come here to be a backup. He was looking to be a starter. And if he was going to start, it was going to be at that right guard position battling with Spencer Burford. So for Forrester to come out and already kind of say it's Burford's job, I think is a little bit interesting because, you know, Feliciano is a guy who's played in this league a long time. And uh, the fact that they feel Burford is going to be better for them um, is, is great. And, and once again, I think it goes, it moves forward with the continuity, bringing back all of the starters from that last year's um, offensive line. I think that, you know, if we, if Burford is on that same timeline as Aaron Banks, we could see him really take that next leap um, and, you know, build that consistency through his game. He obviously has a lot of physical traits that you'd like to see at the right guard position. Um, it's about consistency at this point, right? He has to be able to win on every down and not have those mental lapses that he had um, sometimes last season. And obviously I think, you know, when you have a guy like Brunskill that's coming in and, taking half of your reps, you know, it, it could be tough to build that. So this year he has the full off season as the number one right guard. And he knows he's going into the season without having to do that rotation. So I think, yeah, I, I expect him to take a, a, a big leap. I think that the 49ers offensive line development is underrated. Um, you know, uh, uh, I think Coaster gets a lot yeah. of credit for how he's able to develop the defensive line, but if you look at the offensive line development, these guys are coming out and it's not as flashy of a position. You don't have like these stats as far as like sacks and pressures and all this type of stuff. So it's really hard to quantify how good your offensive line is. But the 49ers have had a solid offensive line for years and years and years. And it's been without true superstars outside of the left tackle position. So for me, that, that shows a lot about the development and what Forrester and this the coaching staff is able to do as far as developing these guys. So I, I don't expect anything to change from that. And you and I are thinking exactly the same way. The number one takeaway that I had when Burford, when, when uh, Forrester said it was Burford's job is, what is up with John Feliciano then? Because like you said, I think he came into camp understanding that he'd be able to compete. Right guard was the only spot, really, that he was going to fit in that had a potential shot at a competition. That's out of the way. We heard last week Feliciano was practicing. He was the second-team right guard. I think it was the Kel left guard, uh, Feliciano at right guard. Forget exactly who – or sorry, Felice, yeah, uh, the Kel left guard, Feliciano right guard. I don't exactly remember who was the center with the second team last week. It might have been Jason Poe, but – I think this creates an intriguing battle for sure. Feliciano's contract was fully guaranteed for $2.25 million. 
you've got Nick Sakel, who the team was trying to uh, – they're trying to see if he's their uh, backup center this year. That's where uh, they want him. And it was a rough go for him, according to Nick Wagner today. Struggled with snaps and exchanges. And they want Zakel working specifically in the interior spots. Worked left guard last week, was at center today. The unfortunate reality, though, sometimes with these guys, we saw it with Brunskill last year, and I've seen it myself in other training camp competitions outside. There are players who are just not suited to play center. Struggle with the snapping. Struggle with those exchanges. They're good interior offensive linemen. Just cannot play center. And that's going to be unfortunate if Zakel has these... I'm not saying that he can't play center. I'm not saying that at all. He had uh, some small experience, I believe, at the Senior Bowl last year. And for me, the number one thing is, how does he uh, accumulate days of good work? Does he? Is it going to be continues continuing like this? Is it going to be, um, you know, better days? Because we saw this with Daniel Brunsky last year, where he struggled to play center, and that essentially took him out of that center competition and put him at right guard um, at the, you know, when the season started after he came back from his injury. But I think there's significant competition now at that uh, on those interior spots. You've got Feliciano. You've got uh, a guy who I just said is Nick Sakel. You've also got Jason Poe and a guy who we've got to mention who a lot of people are putting some hype into is Joey Fisher, who said who people thought, oh, he could be a tackle. He could be one of those swing tackles. No. Uh, Chris Forster said they believe he's a guard, undrafted free agent out of Shepard, the guy who they paid the most money to. So you've got a couple of guards there that, you know, could make a run. What do you think about the depth and also, you know, um, the the positions? Yeah, I mean, you know, I see Harold here said, you know, 49ers need offensive line depth, and I actually disagree with Harold. I think that the offensive line is one of the positions that I feel like they're pretty deep at, right? You just – and you just listed it. How many – I think what the 49ers usually take somewhere between 8 to 10 offensive linemen is usually what they have on their roster yeah. given given any year. So you just list – they have. we just mentioned the five, right, the five starters – and then you just mentioned three guys that are probably for sure going to be on the team. It's Zakil, um, Zakil Poe, and um, Feliciano. So they're already at eight right there. So if they decide to take, um, you know, they probably would need another tackle. So maybe if that, uh, you know, I don't know exactly who that uh, third, that, that, you know, swing tackle is going to be, right? That would be, I think, the position that's up for grabs. But I could see them only taking, you know, nine, nine players. I guess, uh, you know, whether I hope it's not Jalen Moore because I think Jalen Moore is terrible at tackle. But I don't know who else is on the roster as far as tackles. So, but that would be the only position, right? The swing tackle would be the only position that isn't, I guess, spoken for. But I could see them only, only keeping nine offensive linemen on the roster. Um, and then saving that extra position for a secondary, which I think they're going to need, you know, more secondary or, yeah, I think that's where they're going to have that extra extra person, whether it be a corner or a safety. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, I mean, for tackle, my hot take right now or my biggest observation, I think Leroy Watson is your swing tackle this year. I think he beats out both Matt Pryor and Jalen Moore. I don't I'm – not, I'm not confident in either of those guys. And – do you roll with just one tackle? Because the rest of the guys, it seems like the value is interior guys. Years past, you had Daniel Brunskill as well. But I think, yeah, right now it's Leroy Watson, who's the guy who I think are the highest about. 
that puts you at six guys. I think they roll with nine, which means, you know, you've got three, the interior guys. And could that be Zakel, Poe, and Feliciano? Yeah. But does Joey Fisher slide in there? Is he a prime practice squad guy? We'll see. But I think that there's going to be a good competition on the interior. I think the depth is there. The only thing is, I mean, you've got a veteran in Feliciano. You know what he is. The rest of the guys, you're trying to still figure out what they are. But, yeah, I think there's going to be good competition there in the, along the offensive line. But the biggest takeaway is that front five right now, it seems fully solidified. And I think that's a good sign for the 49ers, right? That's one unit that, you know, obviously you would like the quarterback situation to be well-defined as well. But, you know, if the offensive line was question mark and the quarterback was a question mark, you'd be you'd be really like it'd be really tough right now. But the fact that, you know, the, the offensive line is solidified at this point, they're, uh, you know, even a step further than they were from last season. Yeah, I agree. Last topic of the day, though. Got to talk to you about some standouts. Number one, Drake Jackson, up 13 pounds, spoke today, seemed bigger. Seems like, you know, he spoke a little bit, was very candid about the struggles, had to do with his size, um, obviously the duration of the season last year, at the end of the year where he was essentially phased out and active uh, in the rotation. Right now, seems like a big vote of confidence in him. No signings elsewhere. We've talked a little bit about Jackson in the past now it seems like, you know, he's bigger, he's got the size, and he's got the opportunity. How do we feel about him so far? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough. Obviously, he's put in the work, right? So the things that he could control, he's controlling. He, he You know, I think um, Wilkes in his presser a few weeks ago mentioned that Drake Jansen spent the whole offseason the, at the 49ers um, practice facilities and really focused on getting stronger. Uh, you know, Drake Jackson has a lot of raw potential, but for him to really, really like take that next leap, he has to learn how to be more than just a speed rusher, right? He has to be able to beat uh, players one-on-one. And I think that fourth offensive lineman is going to, or defensive lineman, I, excuse me, Rohan is, is one of the most important positions that I think is going to be because this 49ers defensive line has three bona fide guys, right? With Armstead, um, Ridgeway, or yeah, um, my mind's blanking. Bosa, and then uh, who's the guy they just they just signed from the Eagles? Um, Hargrave. Hargrave, there. Sorry. Uh, so those three guys obviously are bona fide three down players, right? Yeah. They're you know at least two of those guys are probably going to see double teams pretty often in Bosa and, um, uh, and Ridgeway. But so whomever's that fourth guy is going to be getting a lot of one-on-one opportunities and they have to win. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, Drake Jackson isn't proven. So this year he really has to take that leap and be able to do that or, you know, if I'm the 49ers, I'm 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 wondering why Yannick isn't on this team. Like he's just sitting there. Like, what are we like to me? That is somebody who is attainable. They have the money to get him. I don't understand why he's not on this team right now, Rohan. And the only reason could be that they feel like they have that answer already on the roster. And obviously, um, 
the main main opportunity or the main person that they expect to to get into that role is is Drake Jackson. So maybe they believe he's the guy. Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, on the Yannick thing, here's what I think. I think it's obviously more the player, the players, because obviously you're trying to get the best deal. And I think it's a multi-year deal. I think the multi-year deal thing is really the biggest uh, indicator. And maybe he waits for a prime, like a big injury to occur in the offseason where his services are going to be uh, needed much more. And I think that that might, you know, that might get him a little more money. And so... I'm not too concerned there. I think the 49ers have the option to sign whoever they want in free agency at training camp time. I don't think it happens before then. I think it happens, you know, once they have an understanding after mandatory minicamp of how their roster will look, maybe even a little into training camp. As for Drake, I mean, good signs. All good signs. We uh, liked what I heard today from him. He talked about, I mean, we've, we've heard how he's been here the entire time after the end of the season working out, getting bigger. Obviously, there are results both in his workout regimen and in his size. And he talked about how, you know, him being uh, his, his him essentially wearing out at the end of the year. And that kind of led to this transformation. Good sign. Got to see it now on the field, but a good sign for Drake. Last stand out of the day, though, got to talk about Jair Brown. Um, I think it was Brandon Ayuk who revealed Jair Brown already has four interceptions at OTAs. 49ers changed their philosophy last year. They were a huge turnover team last year. Hasn't been their MO on defense in years past. You're adding a guy who has made a couple of plays now. I mean, we saw the playmaking last offseason in training camp. There was a significant amount of interceptions. You're seeing the, this, the, the, the change in OTAs. How promising is that from Jair Brown, understanding he was a playmaker in college as well? Huge. I mean, Ayuk, I think is also mentioned that he's um he's uh locker room locker room like neighbors they're like sharing uh the locker room right next to each other as well which i think is 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 great i think brandon Ayuk is in his interviews or his presser is seeming like a guy who could definitely be a vocal leader on this team he's locked in and very confident in what he's gonna he's gonna do this season but as far as Brown, I think it's I think it's great, you know, and I think he's in a great situation because Gibson also is a disruptor on the deep uh, as a safety, um, and so there isn't this pressure that Brown has to be ready and, and, and to start right away, right? He has time to really develop, but now you look at that combination of um, Hufunga, who is a natural born disruptor, just figures out a way to be around the ball, um, whether it be through, you know, interceptions or, or, or fumbles. You had Gibson who, you know, had a few interceptions last season. And now you're bringing in a guy like Brown who, who's able to do that as well. Not to mention Mooney Ward, uh, you know, Diamador Lenore, Luther, Womack. So the secondary now is full of not only guys that are, you know, not only guys that are guys that have a knack for finding the ball right and and making plays and i think that paired with how good this defensive line has consistently been bodes well i mean the 49ers were the top team when it came to um turnover differential um they were you know top three in total turnovers uh you know as far as turnovers that they were able to make so i think that 
they're going to they're going to be even better at that with, you know, bringing in this young talent that could pick up where the last last guys left off. I agree. And I mean, I think for for me, it's a good sign. It's nothing but good because the biggest question is how quickly can Jair Brown get on the field? And right now, it's seeing sooner than later if he can playmake. The 49ers want playmakers on that defense. And I think Steve Wilkes, especially with his aggressive mindset, is looking for playmakers. And so to me, that's what I'm looking uh, That I mean, it's, it's a great sign uh, to see even more of an influx of turnovers being created after what we saw last year, which was a significant change from years past. Hopefully, Jair Brown gets on the field a good amount with those three safety sets, but it's a good sign for the 49ers because they might have found themselves and many Hufanga in a way. Similar testing, similar ball skills. We'll see how it ends up going, though, this season. And, you know, the 49ers' best duo had been Tart and um, Jimmy, Jimmy Ward, Ward right? Yeah. And one of the reasons why those guys were so good together was they're extremely interchangeable right right they could switch and they could pretty much be wherever they needed to be type of thing if Fufunga and brown could turn into that type of duo where they could switch and and kind of you know go wherever they need to go type of thing and still be able to produce 49ers secondary is going to be nice for a very long time right oh, yeah. so that's going to be um exciting to to really see that development of those guys and you know steve wilkes is known for his ability to defend develop secondary so um it's perfect timing to have this type of young talent back there yeah man i mean that's that's exactly what it is like steve steve wilkes is here it's the perfect way to develop him and especially because he was a steve wilkes guy going into the draft so that's a great sign and i mean good to hear you know with this rookie class it was really uh, interesting to see, first of all, who's going to hit the field early, but also how impactful could they be to the 49ers chase for a Super Bowl? Because you're trying to balance the two timelines, right? Drafting talent for the future to essentially replace players when they leave in free agency, but also win the Super Bowl. And so it's good to hear immediate contributions from the top player they drafted. Yeah, and to get them in the third round is even more exciting, right? Exactly. <laughs> But, man, it's been a great show. Talked about the quarterbacks. Talked about John Lynch's comments. Brock Purdy, expectations for them. Focused on the offensive line. Heard a lot from Chris Forster today. Any last thoughts before we head on out of here, Sunil? Yeah, I actually had a question for you. This is something that Jesse brought up to me, and I wanted to get if you kind of understood, if you knew a little bit more about this. So I'm sure you you know about the um, the Jimmy G stuff that's happening in yeah. uh with the race right now there's a possibility if he doesn't pass his physical that they're able to cut him without having to pay him does that mean that the 49ers would lose their compensatory pick and this is a big question i've actually had this uh had a huge conversation with uh some of my guys uh in with the 49ers web zone group and it's interesting because obviously right now he factors in if he if he eliminates it though um the biggest thing is that if it takes into account snaps and postseason awards i think that he he won't be factored but if it only takes into account salary which is already uh part of the contract i think that it um it, he still would be a compensatory free agent 
Jason Hurley of um, Jason Hurley. He runs a 49ers site for the cap. He says that we still would, but there's a good amount of information saying that we that it obviously wouldn't be there. And um, a couple of other people that have chimed in on this have said no, he would not count or he would essentially not be a compensatory free agent, which essentially means the 49ers have Javon Hargrave and Mike McGlinchey uh, canceling out and the 49ers lose one of their third round compensatory picks. At the moment, I'm not exactly sure because I've heard from both sides two different things. David Lombardi, it says here, says yes. Not exactly sure. This is something I'm looking to clarify and something we'll talk about on our next show, though. At the moment, I'm leaning towards no. I don't think that he would be eliminated, but I have to get some more information on that. Cool. Stay yeah. tuned. Next yeah, time man. we'll have the answer, possibly. <laughs> exactly. So everybody in the chat, make sure you guys stay tuned. But talking about the chat, thank you guys as always for tuning in. It's always a pleasure answering questions, interacting with you guys. We're going to be back live soon. I might be live tomorrow. I know Sunil's got a show coming up. Oh, uh, you got any shows coming up, Sunil? Nah, I think this is going to be my last one for the week. Um, but yeah, stay tuned. Um, next week should be on Tuesday with Jesse again, and then uh, probably another one with you next week sometime. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So, guys, stay tuned with the content. We're going to be back soon. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.